Hello and welcome to the Pool Boy Podcast with me, Steve Buckley. We're at the end of 2015 now and it's safe to say it's been a fairly successful year for Britain. So who better to talk to about it than the British head coach Bill Furness? I caught up with him a bit earlier today and uh, let's have a listen to what he had to say. So Bill, we're sitting here at the, the tail end of 2015 and it's fair to say it's been uh, quite a successful one for Britain's swimmers. Um, looking back now, how do you feel about the performance in, in 2015 overall? I'll be honest, um, I'll take it because if someone had told us certainly, you know, we're going to have the results that we did at the World Championships, um, we, we probably overperformed there. Um, you know, things went our way and... Um, I think that that's great in that it's good for belief and it's good for confidence and, and it shows our guys can do it at, at the world stage. Um, the, the danger for me is that everybody gets a little bit carried away with it um, because, um, you know, nine medals or whatever we won is is not going to be the situation in Rio. It's going to be much tougher. And uh, I, th- I think we're aware of that and we're prepared for that. It, it was interesting because I think... Before London, um, you know, the World Championships, before the, the London Olympics, I think we won six medals. And um, of those six medals, or those six people who won medals, they're all won by individual people. I think only one person actually went on to win um, a medal in London out of that group of six. And that was um, Rebecca Adlington. And then, obviously, Jameson came in, who had not won a medal. Um, at the World Championships. So it just shows you how fickle it can be. At the end of the day, it's definitely um, it's, it's what we're going to do in Rio that counts. So very encouraged by it, but, but not carried away with it. Before you went to Russia in the summer, did you feel that a performance like that would be possible or was that at the top end of, of what you thought the team might achieve, you know, those nine medals? Well, well to, to be honest, we'd, I mean, one thing that both um, Chris Spice and I have brought in is we we seriously don't focus on medals we focus on um performance i thought our performance level was much higher and and one of the big things we're looking at is how many seasons best uh, performances do we get at the major meet now that to me is a critical factor because i think in london the percentage of seasons best in london was something like 28% so 28% of that London Olympic team swam their fastest time in 2012 at the Olympic Games. Now, if you do that, you're not going to win many medals. Whereas in Kazan, it was much higher than that. It was almost 60%. Now, that that was a figure that was similar at, at the Commonwealth Games and at the European Championships. So I think that is a much better indicator and I think if you can get up around 60% of, of lifetime or season's best performances at the major competition on the day when it counts under the most pressure, then the medals will come to you. You spoke about, about performance you know, rather than necessarily uh, results, if you like. But obviously the, the team has, um, as someone of the stature of Adam Peaty in it now, who whose performances and his results have obviously been extremely good this year. How important is it for the team to have someone like him in it as a sort of motivating figure, as a figurehead for the other the other swimmers in that team? Massively. Um, but, you know, if, if you look at the people who came back with medals from Kazan, I mean, there are a lot of 
people. So so PT obviously is any team is at any point in time is going to have their star. My my thing, um, it's great because Adam proves to everybody else, hey, look, you can do this. And and then everybody else realizes that, yeah, we can, and they step up to the plate. The the thing, my thing is got to be normal behavior. You know, I, I, I've got to go to a situation where I think a British team go to a major competitions like a Worlds or an Olympics and expect to win medals and believe they're going to win medals. And um, I think if you can do that, then you've got a chance. Uh, you, you know, I don't want to sort of in any way sort of degrade what's gone on in the past, but but I think we've gone there sometimes with hope and uh, instead of belief. So to me, it, it's got to be normal behaviour for a British team to expect to win medals at the big events. On that sort of basis, are there areas that you feel could still have been better in Kazan? Were there areas you feel the team... Know, could have tweaked their performance, could have done a bit better, um, you know, to perhaps improve those those outcomes. Well, yeah, we learn from everything. Um, look, look, in high performance sport, I suppose same as high performance business, or I don't know whether you're a top surgeon or whatever. When you're at the real top end of something and you and you're performing on the day against everybody else who is trying everything they can. To, 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 to beat you and to turn you over. You, you, you know, you, you, you've got to look for any little thing that gives you an advantage. Now, we've done a lot of work on our team behaviours, and I don't want to go into too much detail on that. But, but we, we've altered a lot of things in how the team behaves, how the team functions, what the team sees are good values. And certainly this group of athletes we got now are extremely um, self-reliant, extremely, you know, motivated. And, and I would say their arena skills are much more um, robust um, than they were when, when Chris and I came in sort of three and a half years ago. We've, uh, we've had a successful 2015. The focus obviously now switches to Rio and the Olympic Games. Um, Britain's been in, in this sort of position before, in certainly in 2003, uh, perhaps mm. to a slightly lesser extent in 2011, coming off a successful World Championships and then not quite got the results we would have hoped for at the Olympics. How do you hope to avoid a similar fate this year? Look, we've just got to do the basics well and... Uh, we, you know, we've got a, a, a good team around the team, uh, our sports science, sports medicine support. Um, we, we're spending a lot of time on planning and preparation. Like we've just got back just last week from Rio where we, we did a lot of work preparing for, um, you know, the, the finals and, and what time they're going to be at. Um, so I, I think we'll leave no stone unturned. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, we, we, like I say, it, it, it's how robust are the athletes. Now, one of the things I think that has improved in the last three years is, is that aspect. I think our guys um, race better. I think they manage themselves through the rounds better. I think tactically and technically they, they're better in races. If you look at someone like 
Jimmy Guy, you, you know, he knows when to put the hammer down, he knows when to attack. Um, and, you know, we, we're swimming much better um, in the last 30 metres of races. And that's where a lot of medals are decided. But you've got to get yourself in position and then be able to finish well. So I think tactically we're improving. Does that mean we're going to deliver in Rio? Um, only if we do it on the day, because, you know, London proved that. It, you know, we get into this virtual contest, and I'm sure we will again, after all the countries have had their trials, everybody ranks them and everybody says, these are going to be results of the Olympic Games. It's tosh, you know, and I say that to the team. Don't even look at them. It's tosh. It'll, it will come down to the day. It'll come down to the night in Rio. And who can do it, you know, when the starting signal goes? So we, we've got to get away from all that hype and just concentrate on doing the basics really well. You mentioned the the sort of support network in the team, the, the structure around the swimmers. You've you've taken an unusual step of, of selecting your coaches for next year already. What was the, the thinking behind that? Well, it's a no-brainer to me. Um, if you look at, and we select our coaching staff early, but if you look at what's been happening in the past, you know, we, we have a trials, which usually are in April, and then we select our Olympic staff. Um, and effectively then the contact between the staff or the coaches and, and the athletes is, is very small right until about three weeks before the Olympics when you all assemble and you're allocated a coach and off you go. Um, by doing it this way, we've been able to give the coaches a much longer running period. We can identify our top athletes. We can start to look at how they're going to work with which coaches. The Olympic coaches can liaise with the home coaches to see how the preparation is going. They can visit the coaches. They can be involved in all the race strategy with the athletes they're going to be working with. And, it, it, you know, we can start to formulate our mind around relays. So it just gives us much longer um, for, for that coach-athlete relationship to build. And importantly, it gives... Um, from my point of view, and we've already started it, you know, a, a pretty intensive training program, which, which I, I don't want to talk too much about, but we, we, we're doing a pretty intensive training program with our Olympic coaches to prepare them for what to expect in Rio. So it, it, it just gives me much more time to, to bond both the athlete and the coach together to build a relationship with a home coach and to knit the eight coaches together or the six coaches together in, in terms of the pool team um, and to allocate roles and responsibilities and, and, and to start looking at anything we can do to have the team perfectly prepared. You mentioned relays there and uh, Chris Spice um, spoke about how they were important before you went to Worlds this year. Uh, is that going to be the, the same for Rio? Is that a big focus for you? Uh, the focus for me in Rio is, and for Chris as well, I'm sure, is on on medal opportunities. Now, to me, um, you know, whether that's an individual medal opportunity or whether it's a relay medal opportunity. So a little bit different to the past. I mean, don't get me wrong, I, I think relays are great. And, and 
you know, they do build camaraderie and everything else. But by the time you get to something like an Olympic Games, I suppose what I'm saying is if we take a relay, it's got to have a chance. You know, we're not just going to take a relay just because oh, we want to swim every relay. Um, that's, I think that's pretty old-fashioned thinking. And I think I would love to take every relay. So let's hope everybody steps up and gives me that problem at the trials. Um, but I will be looking at uh, medal shots, whether they're individual or relays, when, when we make selections. One thing that's going to be quite different in uh, in Rio to, to previous games is the timing of the, the finals. You've already mentioned it. Um, mm. What kind of impact do you think swimming that late at night is going to have on, well, your team, obviously, but, but swimmers in general? I think it's a mindset. Um, it was interesting because when it was first announced, a lot of countries kicked off. And uh, Chris and I made a decision, hey, we're not going to kick off about this. We're going to just say, OK, it is what it is and we'll handle it. And uh, and we've very much preached that to the team. You know, it, sport take a lot of professional sport takes place at different times. And and whether you agree with it or not, um, the fact is that, that that will be the time of the finals in Rio. Now, I've even banned the word late finals. Or that's two words. But I've banned <laughs> the word late, right? Because to me, it's not late. It's the finals. So we, I say we just got back from Rio. We trained at those times, um, at one till three, and we turned, trained 10 till midnight for a week. Um, we took seven athletes. We had absolutely no problems whatsoever. We, we haven't got all the testing back yet that we did on them. But it's quite interesting to me that, you know, we flew back last Sunday and and several of those athletes swam the Scottish short course and swam the house down. So um, actually, it, it wasn't a problem. Um, now, OK, I know we're going to have things like extra pressure. We're going to have things like um, blood testing and, and urine testing if they if anybody wins a medal so some guys could be getting back to the village at like three or four a.m but but we didn't find it um any problem um last weekend and i think we've got a couple more preparation pardon me preparation events like that um once the team is selected so we're going to do everything we can to prepare for it um but hey it is what it is and i think we can handle it there's, there's obviously a lot of swimming to go between now and trials and, and before we know who's going to be on the on the plane to Rio. Um, one of the things that's that's been evident over the last two years particularly is how much racing you've had the team doing. What's mm. the what's the racing strategy between now and, and trials and indeed the Olympics? Okay, well it's, it's a little bit different this time um, because what I've done instead of picking particular meets, I've said, look, you've got to race at particular times. Um so we usually start off, I mean, obviously, we've just had this clump of events now where we've got the home nation short course. We've just had Jewel in the pool. Our guys, <coughs> I thought, swam pretty well out there. We've had a European short course. We swam a small team there, but again, it did well. They, 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 they performed to expectation or above. So, so I'm pretty pleased with this clunk sort of before the end of the year. And then obviously we go into the long course preparation meet. So I want them racing in January 
and I want them racing in March, basically. And now we've got quite a lot of swimmers training out on the Gold Coast who will race at the same time in, in meets out there in Australia. And we've got some swimmers doing Flanders in January. Um, and then we've got, we will have some swimmers, I think, doing either the Marseille meet in March or the Scottish um, meet um, again in March. So, so certainly there's going to be two long course competitions they have to do um, before the trials in April. So this clump of competitions now and then into two long course preparation meets and then the trials in April. Those trials, once again, are going to have quite tough qualification standards. And there, there is a school of thought that suggests we should be getting our, our guys swimming fast in, in August, in July at the main meet, and, and maybe not worrying so much about um, swimming fast in March. Now, I know you've already said that your target is, is looking at people who are going to challenge for medals when they get to the main meet. But what's your response to people who say, well, you know, they're swimming too fast in March, they need to be swimming fast in August? Well... I think the last two years has been the response because we've actually done that. We've swum, we've swum fast at the trials and then we've swum faster. Um, and that's why we've had two good years. You know, I mean, it, it's, I think it's old thinking that you, you know, if you, if you look at the way the sport's going, that you can't swim fast now more than once or twice a year. Um, to me, I'm asking them to swim fast twice a year. Once, to make the team. And I think you've got to do that. You've got to be up there. You know, I mean, statistically, you, you get a few outliers, but statistically, you need to be going into an Olympic Games, I think, to have a realistic medal chance, certainly in the top six in the world. So so we need that sort of performance to, to for people to actually believe they can do it. And then you need to move it on in the summer. Now, what we've got much better at is moving it on in the summer. And I would argue it the other way, that if you make the trial soft, what it does is, okay, it gets you a group of, of swimmers who actually find it more difficult to step it up in the summer. And perhaps that's one of the reasons we've not been doing it. Well, having got your team selected in March and, and prepared, um, and they go off to Rio, what would, for you, I mean, I'm sure you're, you've got specifics you, you don't want to share, but what would make a successful Olympic Games for you? I mean, what would the success... Uh, in Rio for Britain look like? I can really easy. 60% season's best at the meet. If, if, I, if I get on the plane coming back from Rio and we did anywhere near 60% season best for the meet, I would be a happy man. Um, I don't know how many medals we'd have in there, but, but I, I would predict it would make us very competitive. Um, and also, I suppose the second point would be the team... Um, demonstrated the behaviours that they've put a lot of time and effort in in the last three and a, year, three and a half years, and they've done a great job on, um, you know, under the pressure of an Olympic Games. So, so you think if uh, if you can achieve those benchmarks, the results will sort of look after themselves? Yeah, I do. That's, that's fair enough. Um, if we just look sort of more widely. Um, at swimming and, and particularly your time as, as head coach you've been in post for two and a half years um three and a half <laughs> there we go three and a half years yeah, yeah. Uh, how obviously you're, you're you're well used to it now i think but how did you find the transition from coaching your own swimmers to overseeing the the whole team 
it's a different lifestyle, I'll be honest. Um, you know, and, and I suppose the, the big difference is um, the, the day-to-day interaction with the athlete. So, you know, when you're coaching, you know, when I was coaching somebody like Rebecca Adlington, you, you know, you 24-7, you see the athlete, you know, they're doing a max heart rate, something set or something like that. You you know you're making a difference you because you're working with everything all the time and, and it's been demonstrated to you all the time. Whereas with the job now, obviously, I spend a lot of time in a car or on a train or in a plane. I'm visiting different coaches. I'm visiting different athletes and I spend a lot of time um, as, as little as I can, but I still spend a lot of time in meetings. So it, it's more now about putting a structure and a support and also, I suppose, providing a a direction, you know, uh, that, that the coaches and the athletes can function within and, 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 and I suppose helps and, and even forces them to move things in the right direction. Um and sometimes, you know, I come home in the evening and I think, well, if you've been in a meeting all day, you've been on a train all day, or you think, well, what have I done today? But but, but I, I've got more used to that. Um, so I suppose I miss the daily, daily interaction, but but I enjoy what I'm doing. I, I really enjoy working with the coaches and, and the athletes. I try and do that as often as possible. Do you Have you found that, that perhaps the attitude of the coaches and swimmers has changed towards you a little? I mean, you're sort of in a poacher term gamekeeper type of position but uh, but has has the way they act towards you changed i've got to say and and absolutely categorically you know i'm not i'm not sort of trying to disguise it i've got to say that the the coaches have been great because i i know some of the stuff i've done you know is is pretty radical and i know some of it is is popular with 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 some people but you're not going to please everybody all the time in this game um but generally speaking um the coaches and the athletes have have been very very supportive and have stepped up to the block i'm yeah i'm pretty honest sort of bloke i'll sit down with a coach or an athlete and and i I don't mind having pretty frank face-to-face conversation um and i try and explain my rationale behind decisions but I say at the end of the day my job is not to please everybody all the time my job is is to to help drive the ship in the right direction so so that you know by definition that means you've got to take some pretty awkward decisions you've obviously as you say you've got awkward decisions to make do you think it helped uh, you or the team having having someone familiar you know coming in to head up that that process obviously you had a, a new national performance director alongside you but having a, a familiar face heading up the team rather than someone coming in from outside who doesn't necessarily know British culture and, and all those other things I think so I mean I think um, it's important that the, the MPD is important Chris and I have a great working relationship and Chris is you know he's massively experienced in in different sports rugby and hockey and basketball and strategically brings a lot to the table, um, but but from a technical point of view, um, you know I, I think it helps to have a Brit in in charge. Um, it's uh, 
you know, whether it's a culture thing or not. You know, one of the things I said right at the beginning is we're going to do this in a British way. I say without giving away any trade secrets, a lot of stuff we do now, I think the athletes are a lot happier with because it, it's more normal to them. It's it's what we do as Brits. Um, so I, I think that helps. I think in the end of the day, you know, whatever you are, whichever sport you're in, and you, it, it's still got to reflect your culture. And it's better if you can work your practices and you can work high performance practices, but still, you know, within your within your own culture. And I think that probably what I bring to the party a little bit. So is the, is the job what you expected? Um, yeah, it's, you know, I mean, I, I've, I've been on deck a long time. I've, I've I was head coach in '96 when 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 um, it, it was an amateur position. So I know it's you know it's tough, um, but but it's it's exciting and it's enjoyable and it's it's something I'm pretty passionate about. And uh, yeah, it's it's what I expected. And and uh, I say it's 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 a privilege to to do it to be to be GB head coach. It's something I don't take lightly and. Um, something I try and do as well as I can. Bill, that's brilliant. Thank you very much for your time and all the best for 2016. Thank you. Well, that was Bill Furnish, the British head coach. I uh, hope you enjoyed that little chat with him. Uh, thanks for listening to this podcast. We'll be back with you soon. Mm-hmm.